Hello and welcome back, imposters, to the You're Not Qualified podcast. My name is Courtney Heater. This is episode number 15, episode number 15 on deck here, and I love this topic that I'm covering today, and I'm stoked about our guest. So it is no secret that I believe transferable skills are valuable for leveling up in your career or your passion. I've talked about transferable skills since the very first interview with Chris Butler Stroud of Welland Dolphin Conservation, meaning you might be really sick of hearing me talk about it, but damn it, it is so important. So please don't leave. I would love you to stay and hear this. You complain much. You have skills that you might not even recognize as skills, and it is really, it's worth exploring those and how they contribute to your potential and how you want to grow as an individual in your career. Maybe you're even a new parent, I don't know, and you don't know what you're doing. It is so applicable. Skills are everywhere, and you might not even know that something that you're really good at is a skill. So this could help you dig deeper there and understand what they look like and how to apply them. So this episode will be a little bit different than the other episodes on You're Not Qualified. Rather than talking with somebody about their journey through their personal endeavor and being told that they're not qualified and overcoming or helping other people overcome in that way, we will be talking about a certain qualifications that you might have to help you on your journey. So we're enlisting somebody to talk about that with us in terms of skill building and translating that into leveling up so that you feel more confident in pursuing whatever it is you want to do and you can combat your personal imposter syndrome monster, basically. So it's a little bit more of a self-help episode, if you will. We are chatting with Asha, author of Skills, The Common Denominator. We talk about identifying skills, when to apply them, and some overall confidence in your abilities, plus much more. Level up. Level up your life, folks, and start here. Let's go. I am not a warrior. Very soon, you will be. Asha, thank you so much for being here on the You're Not Qualified podcast with a extremely timely and applicable topic that I talk about all the time, and that is skills, and you even wrote a book on it, so skills, the common denominator, uh, so you're here to talk about transferable skills, finding skills, we're going to dive deep into understanding what you already bring to the table, so thank you for being here. Courtney, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you cover the topic of skills, transferable skills, and today we'll touch on skills-based networking in your podcast. Heck yes. Let's jump right in. So the first question that I have for you is really how much weight should people put on learning a particular skill set to apply for one job they have their eye on? And for example, and this is really relevant to especially the tech industry, say that you are looking at a job description and something says not required, but highly encouraged. I'm sure that everybody's seen that on a job description. 
uh, like knowing a certain coding language R or SQL or Python. So should somebody learn R or should you highlight skills that are like that enough? That's such a great question, Courtney. And I like how you highlighted the text of the job description and specifically that line about not required, but highly encouraged, which means the employer, or in this case, the hiring manager who wrote that job description wants to know that you are teachable, you're coachable, and you want to learn new things on the job. And so if you know another coding language, you could reference how you learned it, how long it took, and what method you used to learn it. Maybe it was self-paced or in a class. But you also have to be realistic on whether or not you're willing to learn a coding language. So you may want to do some research on R online, talk to others that know it, see if you would enjoy learning it. And if you really wanted to demonstrate initiative during the interview process, you could find a free online class to start learning. Then you could talk about those examples that you're doing in your online class in your interviews. And for example, when people apply to jobs at my company, I encourage them to check out our free certifications online so they can get familiar with the technology before the interview process. Another thing I'll add is if you're looking to be a manager who would be responsible for people that are gonna be coding in these languages, you don't necessarily need to learn this technical skill. You need to learn how the skill can be used to deliver the projects of the team. So I think it's really important to understand what you're applying for and what your career trajectory is and how these skills fit in. I'm just gonna add in a little addendum here to what Asha said. She mentioned at her company, they encourage to check out the free certifications online so they can get familiar with the technology before the interview process, which is a really, really cool thing for a company to do. One, two, great idea. Definitely do that if you are looking for a new job and there's any certifications that you can get prior or learn exactly what type of technology they use. Maybe even if you need to like say work in Zendesk or Salesforce or something and take a little course on that. But Side note to all of that, Asha is incredible, an incredible woman, incredibly accomplished, and she is currently the vice president of operations at Sprinkler. That's S-P-R-I-N-K-L-R. You can see that on LinkedIn if you would like to follow her. And in New York City, that's where they're based out of. But you will learn more about Asha and her career trajectory and goals but uh, I just want you to really soak it in that you too can be incredibly accomplished and your skills can get you there. Is that something that you should call out in an interview? Say, hey, I know that I don't meet this qualification, but, or is it something that you should just let your, like exactly what you said, just let it speak for itself? I would let it speak for itself. And so I'm very much focused on your strengths, not your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, unless it comes up, I would specifically talk about strengths that you have for the other component. I'm assuming that you meet all the other requirements on the, or most of the requirements on the job description. Mm -hmm. So you want to talk about that. And then the manager or the recruiter or potentially somebody else in the interview path may pick on that particular skill if it's really important to maybe the work that you're delivering to somebody else. And then you'll say, in that case, I don't know this skill, but I know another and I'm willing to learn. And that's where you really have to make sure like you are willing to learn it. And then you're willing to put in the time to do that once you start. So only say it if you could back it up. Exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> Don't go promising everything. So on that same topic of you assume that somebody meets most of the qualifications on the job description. We know at least in the United States, women typically don't apply for jobs that they're not 100% qualified for or damn near close to 100% qualified for. That's right. Men are in a different category, but how qualified should we actually be to apply for a job? So I remember when I first learned that stat, I think it came from Lean, the book Lean In many years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. And I laughed when I heard it because I used to apply for a job if I saw one interesting bullet on the job description, <laughs> let alone consider like how qualified I was because I was like, wow, that's such an interesting role. I wish I could have it. Yeah. And I'm one of these people that I feel like I can do anything and I'm up for a new challenge. I just need that employer to know that. And how else can you know that without applying for a job and, and even being considered for an interview? Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. And on a more serious note, though, when you think about a job description, there's typically two sections, the responsibilities of the role and what makes you qualified for it. And so if you read the job description and you meet the requirements, that top part of half the bullets or more, you should. And if you see a job where you meet less than half of the requirements, but you want to be considered because you're really interested maybe in the values of the company or the team that the role is a part of, or some other aspect that's really attracting you to apply and consider that role, then find a referral into the firm who could vouch for you. And then if you meet the qualifications and you're like less than half the bullets on there, use the cover letter to connect the dots of your experience, demonstrate those transferable skills and show that you can you know, meet the requirements and that you have skills that are not obvious to the recruiter or the hiring manager who just look at your resume. So mm-hmm. I think there are ways that you can use your ecosystem around you and the information that you have to position yourself for that role, even if you're not 100% qualified. For reaching out to somebody in the firm, what if you don't know anybody, do you think that contacting somebody on LinkedIn is a go, even if you, it's like a cold call basically. Yes. I would try using LinkedIn a couple of ways. I would go to the company page, look for first and second degree connections that you may know chance. If you don't have a first degree connection, you may have a second degree connection, not realize it. And then ask that mutual friend to introduce you to the person that works that company. Or you can go to your school page and look for alumni that work in that firm. You already have that commonality of being an alum of the same school and use that to ask for an informational conversation about the company and their role. Cause you want to show some interest in them and what they're doing. Right. And chances are between those two searches, you will find someone who works at your target company. I guarantee it. That's such an interesting idea because I, at least from my perspective, when you're job searching, it's almost like these brick walls are in place and you can only do so much to get in, but people probably wouldn't think, oh, just ask for an introduction or ask for uh, a recruiter, maybe to spend a little bit of time with you to talk through the role. Like it's just, you can ask. And And you'll see like more and more on LinkedIn recruiters are posting, Hey, if you're looking for a role in my company, feel free to, you know, ping me for time. So I think if you start following the companies on LinkedIn and following the recruiters, which you can without doing a connection request, you'll see these posts in your feed and you'll know when it's the right time to reach out and have that conversation. I did want to take one step back and define transferable skills because I talk about it so much and I just thought of it that I don't really, I don't know how to define it very well. And I'm just like, oh, you have them. It's something that you do. Do you have a hard definition for transferable skills? 
think I have a crisp definition for transferable skills. They're skills that you develop at work or outside of work and extracurricular activities that you could use in either context. Okay. Okay. And you know, it's, it's funny that you say, like, hey, you've been having the show for so many episodes and you didn't define it. I wrote the book without defining it also because transferable skills are soft skills, hard skills. There's so many ways, superpowers is another uh-huh. word that people use for them. They're all interchangeable, but they're all like these core attributes that we have that we, we compartmentalize. I'm this way at work. I'm this way in this volunteer yeah. activity. I'm this way at home with my family. And we have to start realizing, I think, especially during the last two years where all these lines were blurred between these different sections of our life, that we can bring these skills from one place to another. They are transferable. Mm -hmm. You are a dynamic person and yeah, your work mode is not like, it's like, it's part of your person. Exactly. And I think one of the best examples, and I this may come up later in the conversation, but I'll touch on it now is when people are looking to move from an individual contributor to a manager role, I bet if we had a conversation about leadership experiences that person had outside of work when they were in college and high school in student clubs, we would find them and they could use those examples to show like they are a leader. They're able to galvanize a team and to meet an objective of an organization in the same way that they could do in a managerial role if, when they're ready for it. Yeah. And if you have those extracurriculars, like you volunteer a lot, like that shows yes. go-getter attitude that Absolutely. you are very empathetic probably. Yes. Yeah. And that's very valuable soft skill. hundred percent. That was like one of the top ones, especially in today's day and age. Yeah. So a little bit more into the networking piece. We very briefly touched on it for the LinkedIn piece. Yes. I uh, would love to touch on the importance of that. You have extensive experience in networking, which is so cool. It's something that would be like an amazing asset to really get good at. Yeah. A really good skill. So how can a person make the most at say a networking event? We were told like, go to a networking event, meet people in your industry. Yes. Uh, But then what's next? Yeah. Hopefully we can go to networking events soon enough. Maybe we get to hug people again. Yeah, (laughs) Shake hands, exchange business cards. But no, I think networking is very key. And I love talking about networking. I Mm -hmm. even dedicated a whole chapter in my book in networking techniques because they're that important. And so in particular for networking events that are in person, you want to make sure that you have business cards with you to exchange after your conversations. This is so critical. I actually carry a personal business card that has just my name, email and my LinkedIn profile URL on it. Super simple. Okay. And Mm -hmm. I leave the back of it blank with, you know, just plain white so that I can write down a note as I hand it to the person. Maybe there's a follow-up action item or something. I want to remind them where I work or where I volunteer or that I wrote a book. I can write, jot that down and hand it to them. And then when they pick it up, they remember, oh oh, yeah, Asha, she wrote skills. I'm going to make sure I buy a copy on Amazon. So Mm -hmm. that's really important is the business card. Now you've got the event on your calendar. Before you go to the event, you have to research who's going to be there. And so this could be either speakers that are at the event or the guest list. And one or two or both of those should be available online. So just take 15 minutes and start looking up the people online. Maybe focus on the speakers first. And then if you have access to the guest list, you can just pick out some names or go through as many as you can. And this helps you narrow down who you want to meet when you get into the room. 
Mm-hmm. And this tip is particularly helpful if there are introverts in your audience, Courtney, <laughs> because if you want to walk into the room and know that you're going to meet some very specific people, that makes the event and the networking less overwhelming. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And so if there, you're going to an event that doesn't have the guest list published, then when you arrive, speak to the event organizer. That could be the person that's handing you the name tag or checking you in or typically they're probably by the stage, you'll figure out who they are. You could ask, or you could ask for them and just introduce yourself and ask who they would recommend that you meet in the room. Because as the organizer, they have a vested interest to make sure each person attending enjoys the event and meets someone relevant. Mm-hmm. All right. That's the point. Exactly. And so they make them do the work for you. <laughs> and so now you're in the room, you can grab a drink or a plate of food but make sure you always have a free hand to shake somebody else's hand. Cause yeah. that's the worst thing. If you've got, let's say your phone in one hand and something else in the <laughs> other, and you're like, nice to meet you, El- you know, fist bump, elbow bump. That's not the right way to do that in, in a professional meeting. And then as you're walking around the room, you want to scan people's name tags to find the people you want to meet. Mm. And okay. Let's say the event doesn't have name tags, walk up to groups of three or more. It's a lot easier to join the conversation versus two people having a conversation. And you can ask them like, hey, why are you here attending the event? Or then you can start building up to like, have you seen some of these people? And these could be the people that are on your list. And because now you're explaining who you're looking for, you're extending your search to these new group Mm -hmm. of people you've met. And that really helps you at larger events because as they walk around the room, they're going to remember, oh, Asha wanted to see Courtney. Here's Courtney. Let me go grab her. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even do like maybe they know the person by some extension and they can do a little intro. Absolutely. And so you just never know who's already connected in the room when you're walking in. So hopefully all these little small things together, having the business card, doing the research, making a list of people you want to meet, asking the event organizer who you should meet, and then approaching people to help you find the people in the room will all help you maximize a networking situation. Do you have a recommendation for how many drinks you should have? To loosen up, maybe two maximum. Uh, yeah, I would say start with one. <laughs> Good speech. Nice and short. Leaves more time for drinking. <laughs> Break out the ale. These men are thirsty. And I think you have to really think about what is, how much time is there for networking? Some events may only have 30 minutes before a, a panel starts. Yeah. And so if you have 30 minutes and you have a list of five people you want to meet, do you want to be sitting there at the bar drinking your drink or are you going to be laser beam focused and finding the people in the room yeah. before the speaker starts? So the thing about your objective and then think about the priorities of obtaining that objective. Maybe the drink can wait till after this while the speaker is speaking or after the speaker is done. Yeah. But you want to make sure that you can leverage the time you have because most people leave as soon as the event is finished. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's like always pre-mingle. Not normally the post-mingle. Yeah, try exactly. Try to arrive on time to take advantage of everybody coming in. Because the other thing, what's nice, especially with an event with name tags, and I like can't say this enough, like you can see who's checked in or not. Oh yeah, on the little sheet. Yeah, exactly. So what I do is, and people are gonna laugh. I'll make a little post-it with my list of people that I want to meet. And when I get there, grab my name tag. I'm like, oh, hey, can you tell me if so and so has already checked in? Yes or no. Then I know if they're in the room or not. Yeah. And then when I walk in, if I've got 20 minutes, I know who I'm looking for and I'm not wasting time looking for everybody. I'm looking for the three or four that are checked in already. Yeah. I wish I had that, that know all with, uh, 
networking when I first started networking in Seattle eight years ago, but I was so clunky about it. Like you get so, I feel like it can easily turn awkward. Oh but yeah. It's, it's not easy have at your all. Objective. Like it, it took me a little while to figure this out. I, I ran a networking events in Washington, DC, where I lived for a long time. So you learn this as an organizer, right? And who's feeling awkward in the room. Who's like the social butterflies. You learn how to connect people, but then you also mm. yourself, you realize, okay, I need to know who's in the room to be able to make certain connections. Yeah. Exactly. So, so that's also like the goal of the organizer. And you could yes. probably even go up to them, like an organizer or somebody staff, yes. that's not catering or anything, but that's somebody right. working the event that can help you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're there and they're there to make sure everyone's having a good time. So they will help you. Yeah. Great. I'm going to, I'm going to look for networking events. Well, I guess maybe not even virtually anymore. Who knows? Maybe virtually, but they're doing like small get togethers in person these days. So We'll so see. there you go. So I would love to know a little bit more about your background slash transferable skills that were instrumental for you to even write this book or get a job you loved. Wow. Okay. A lot of little questions in there. Yes. So, <laughs> so anything you want to show us. All right. So my background is, I think to do it in like a three minute version, I've worked in operational roles throughout my career. I started in the private sector, went to the public sector and then nonprofit sector, and then did it all again. And so in the, I would say the first 10 years were focused on, um, kind of general operations roles and account management, event planning, project management, all of those are very similar and that they're very customer service oriented roles. And that's mm -hmm. something that I realized as I went through each one, like how similar they were in that mm -hmm. sense. And then the next 10 years, I took deep dives into different functional areas like finance, HR, marketing, IT. And that's because I wanted to be able to understand how they really worked from top to bottom, because my future goal is to be a COO, chief operating officer. And mm -hmm. so if I'm going to oversee all these different areas, I want to be able to ask people to do things that I know I could do myself. And so mm -hmm. if they need help or they need how to do something, I could be able to explain in the past, this is how we did it. This is how I understand we're supposed to do it. Or here are connections that you can call and talk to about how to handle this. Yeah. And so that was really important to me. And so I think one of the things that kind of fuels me in all of this is the skill of endurance. Yeah. Because a lot of times I stepped into these roles without having the background in the functional area, without having background in the industry or the company, and I had to learn. And so for me, the endurance really fueled me to you know, take on the challenge and understand what needed to be done and how to make whatever was complex, simple for everyone that was around me and my mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. And so the other um, skill that I think was really important to consider here is all the changes that I've made in my career have been through referrals. No way. Yes. Okay. Way. Okay. And my referrals. And I think one thing that they would say about me is dependability. They knew that they could trust me when we work together and they knew that trust would carry over into a new role that they brought me into. Mm -hmm. They knew that at work, I'm the one, you know, who will say, yeah, we need to get something done. I'll give it to me. I'll make sure we get it done by the deadline. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that I ask for an extension on a deadline. And so you can make sure that if you give me a project or there's a challenging problem or something that's been festering and people just haven't been able to figure out for a while, if you give it to Asha, she'll figure it out, she'll get it done and she'll make it simple and easy to understand and that people can take over and run it after she leaves. I love that. I 
love the path of becoming a COO. I know one other woman in my life who is like a mentor who feels the same way. She wants to get into the COO level. Nice. And it's a really amazing dynamic role. And yes. I feel like like the complexity behind it is something that people don't fully understand, but that's awesome. That's a great right. goal. And I think you're right about the the complexity and understanding the interwovenness of a company and how the, yeah. the teams work together and being able to spot the patterns in different parts of the organization is really important in that type of role. Mm -hmm. And having spent time in each particular function, you realize those interdependencies from the points of the person working in that role. And mm -hmm. so therefore you have more empathy when they're, you're making a decision that's going to impact one or two or three teams, because then you understand, okay, here are the implications of making a change or asking someone to do something um, on a very tight deadline because you know what's involved. Exactly. And you need the bottom up experience. Yes. Because you did it. Exactly. That's right. And that's why I want to be able to like go into a role like that and show people like, I know what I'm asking you to do and I know yeah. what it take to get done. Yeah. And I know that I would not ask more than your capacity. I understand how hard yes. your job is. Another really big skill set is, okay. yeah, that empathy and that understanding. And you, I just love that you are working your way up. There's Thank really, you. there's nothing that I really honestly love to see more is than the person starting from and then going to, because they understand the whole journey. That's exactly. And one thing I realized in my book research and all the interviews that I did was if you set an intention, you will achieve it. Yeah. And you just have to be patient. Yeah. And so for me, like I set the intention in 2009. Oh, wow. And okay. when I said I, you know, the first decade was kind of like going through these different sectors and these different roles. And I was figuring out what I liked doing, what made me want to wake up in the morning and go to work realized it was operations. And then I spent the next 10 years, like very targeted going at these deep dives into these different roles. Because again, all the changes I made were through referrals. So I didn't yeah. necessarily dictate, this is what I want to do next. There was one place where I did say, this is what I want to do next. And it happened to get that role took nine months, but was able to weave in, okay, I'm going to go here and get the finance experience. I'm going to go here and get the HR experience. I'm going to go here and get the marketing experience and say like, I'm checking the boxes that I need to make sure that I, I'm well-rounded as I go into this next phase of my career. Exactly. And you apply with your transferable skills. Yes. That are plentiful at that <laughs> time. <laughs> exactly. Like ramping them up, really putting them all in a bucket. Uh, so are there transferable skills that everyone should work on perfecting then since it can be so beneficial for obviously career hopping or whatever you have, like no matter the industry. So maybe one hard one soft skill? Yeah, that's such a great question. And so I think absolutely, we can definitely talk about, I think the key hard skill that I'm seeing that is you that is needed in most roles today, whether you're in, in marketing to product, even in finance is writing. Mm -hmm. Writing okay. is one skill you need to work on improving because you can use it in so many scenarios. And one thing I'm holding up my phone as we talk about this particular skill, texting, social media has destroyed our writing. Oh yeah. You know, the, have, yeah. The emoji conversations, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like the, the shorthand, the acronyms, the emojis, they're destroying how we write. Mm -hmm. I will text you. So I think people really need to put a concentrated effort on writing properly and writing well, because it'll carry you far, especially as you um, move into roles where you are making presentations to executives, 
to customers, to external stakeholders, and you want them to convey, you want to convey a certain point and you want them to buy into it. Okay. An emoji's not going to do that. An emoji's not going to do that. A smiley face in your email, it's not going to do that. That's right. <laughs> and then as far as the soft skill I would recommend is storytelling. And I think that will take you far. And that one I have to say is one that I recently picked up on as like the, probably the one that people need to perfect because after giving about a dozen book talks, that is the top skill that attendees take away from the presentation. Understanding that you can paint the picture of your career for others in whether that's about you, your work, or maybe even something at work, like a customer challenge, it's an, and it's important because it helps you build credibility. And so I'd say writing and storytelling are the top two transferable skills that people need to perfect. Can you define storytelling a little bit more? Sure. I'll give you an example. Actually, when I give a presentation about my book, I actually tell my story two different ways. I tell my story as one uh, first version as working in and around tech not a technologist, but I am someone very, who's very strong and tech savvy and can talk the technical terms between the technologist and the non-business people. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to tell my story in a way that shows you how I've had this recurring theme of working closely with technology, incubating technology initiatives, evaluating them, and then reducing technology friction in businesses for the, you know, the last 15, 20 years of my career. And so mm -hmm. I paint this picture, I'm a technologist. I can tell you my same career story with an operations lens of how I, I, I like that in the beginning of our conversation where I talked mm -hmm. about how I worked in operations. I worked in all these different functional areas in the operations roles, served as a business partner to different uh, company functions. And all of a sudden I'm the operations person, same person. I can give a third version of that story around education technology, which is an interest and passion that I have, something that I cultivated on the side. And so I was able to attend education events. I was in charge of like employee training and development in a couple of roles, internal communications, which is really important to communicating to the employees what they need to know when they need to. I went back to school. I took some classes um, in an education school and I even ran an ed tech startup for a little while. And so in that version of the story, I'm an ed tech enthusiast. Okay. I'm getting the trend here. Okay. And so all of a sudden, it's so even Courtney, you could paint a picture of your Courtney with the day job and your Courtney as the podcast host. Yeah. And the, I'm sure you use very different, your very transferable skills in either yeah. scenario, right? It is. Yeah. It's very different. Yep. And that's so that's exactly cool. why storytelling is so important and why I think people need to work on that skill because you control your narrative. And by understanding your story and how to articulate it and when to articulate it to a particular yeah. audience, it, that can help, that can make the difference for you in your next move. I feel like when is almost as important as how. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's like really dialing into the time when it's necessary. Yeah. You have to know when exactly, it's just like an elevator pitch. You have to know who mm -hmm. you're talking to, what they're, what's in it for them. And then that when is super important and getting the timing. And especially if you're trying to make a change, it's so important to know when to pull the right story out. Yeah. And it's fun, fun exercise, I think, to really understand. And then you, I feel like you also might be able to get to know yourself even a little bit better if you can deform those narratives around your life experiences. Absolutely. I think we don't take enough time to do that. Yeah, I agree. So instead of, I guess, reading your book. This is your subconscious speaking. It's probably a great idea to get this book. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it in a tangible copy, but skills, the common denominator is a really good investment. People might not really know 
that they have a skill that is valuable and transferable to the job that they want, that they really have their eye on. So are there steps to identify skills within yourself that you might not even know are a skill? Oh, absolutely. And I think that there's several ways to identify the skills that are within yourself that are, as you said, valuable and transferable to your next job or career. And I cover these different ways in the book. But the one that I want to share with your audience today is the simplest. Meet with the people around you and ask them, or sorry, before you ask them, share with them what you do, what skills you have, and then ask them how you could fit into their organizations. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I did this. I remember when I left my role in the government and I spent 30 days having meetings with 30 different people. Everyone has to have a lunch or grab a coffee. So you'll definitely combine these opportunities to meet with people. Mm -hmm. And I would just share with them, this is what I did in the government. This is what I did in the private sector. These are the skills that I really, you know, enjoyed using in my day to day. What would you recommend in your organizations? And it was so funny because three of them came back and said, you should be in PR, (laughs) which wasn't even on my radar. Yeah. To be honest, Courtney, it was yeah. one of those things where like PR, me and PR, like, what are you talking about? That's and, not what I'm after here. <laughs> you know, I was like, it wasn't, but it was so interesting though, because when I talked about this, because, and again, they were just connecting the dots between things that I was, I enjoyed doing and roles that were available in their organization that needed those skills. Ah, yeah. And so that really opens people's minds up. And so and I'll give you another example of a more recent conversation I had with a friend who's a data scientist. And she's a data scientist in a very large company. And she, she just is in this, like, maybe I have to start a bug. I want to work somewhere smaller. Mm-hmm. And so when I heard her talk about her skills and her desire to work in tech and that I understand what she can do as a data scientist and the tools that she uses in that role, mm-hmm. I was like, why don't you think about sales operations? And I said, they would love your level of analytical skills in that type of role, because that's where those roles are going towards. Yeah. And she had never heard of that type of role. And so once I pitched it to her, she started to research it after our call. And now she's seeing all of a sudden all these openings for sales operations analysts with the analytical bent and using the particular tools that she's already trained in to do. And she's, wait a second, I am going to seriously consider this type of role to go into a startup because it's something different and exciting and challenging that I didn't think about. And so these conversations that I'm encouraging your listeners to have, you want to keep an open mind and you're going to hear responses that are going to shock you because they're going to open your mind to opportunities in different functional areas and different industries. And that's really what's going to help you understand your transferable skills. I, I love that journey for her so much, especially now that the options for her job choices are probably doubled. Exactly. Yeah, she can go and she obviously didn't realize that, but those hard skills, and then she probably has great soft skills if you Yeah, she's a people leader. Yeah. And so with her people leader, sorry, with her people leader experience, I said, maybe you may not be able to jump into a manager role in sales ops because you need to understand the business of SaaS and how the technology Uh works, but you could probably go in as a senior analyst and then move up quickly from there. Absolutely. And don't, yeah, don't sell yourself short. That's another big one, right? Maybe she didn't think she could be a senior analyst who knows, but absolutely you can. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's where I hope people understand, like they can, they can have conversations. They don't have to do the work themselves and really just reflect on what they're hearing to understand what the skills are. I love it. 
I am personally after a head of product at a tech company. That's my end goal, but like a conservation tech, like nonprofit-esque, but for profit. Okay. And they are just making really cool, I don't know, drones that can track animal migrations or something. So it's like the realm I'm going for and nice. talking to people about it in my network while like job searching or looking for volunteer opportunities. I do have a lot of people that are like, what about product marketing? Or one of my old bosses who believed in me more than I believed myself was like, you should go for a CEO someday. Wow. These are amazing, super nice of you to say that you think that you see this in me, but it's not my path. But I feel like the mist for me was, okay, why are they saying that? And these skills that I didn't know I had, How can I like rein them in and speak to them in a way that gets me to my path? Yeah. So I'm guessing just hearing what you said, you have excellent communication skills, which is why they're recommending product marketing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you're a natural leader, which is why they're recommending CEO. Yeah. I mean, that sounds good. (laughs) I will take it. (laughs) Take it, Courtney. Take it and run. But these are also very important skills for a head of product. Okay. Yeah. You have to have be able to communicate the product roadmap and you need to galvanize an entire organization, not just the product team, but the sales team, the marketing team, even finance Mm -hmm. to align to your roadmap vision and take the, and bring the company forward. And that roadmap could be one, three, five years. Yeah. Especially at such a, like a long-term species solution company. Yeah. Yeah. Especially a deep tech company, like yeah. that's doing converse, con- conservation. And so yeah. I think in that case, you definitely could channel those skills. You could also do rotations. You know, I, I put that in air quotes uh. into those type of roles so that you understand similar to what I did, what are they doing over there? So when I'm later ahead of product and I have to work with the product marketers and I'm going to have product managers who have to work with the product marketers, we know what they need to get their jobs done. Wow. Okay. I love that rotational skill building. And even, could you learn that going to like a course? Like you rather, could learn it. Okay. Yeah, you could learn it in a course. You could learn it in a course of product marketers where they probably have a mix of people from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And so then you're starting to hear like people with different backgrounds, how they would approach similar situations. And that's, what's nice about these job training courses that are done in cohorts. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's one way to learn. You could even say, Hey, could I do a six month rotation into product market? You work in a, in a very large company now that may afford, may allow things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's thing where they're like, you know what, Courtney, you've actually been a super top performer in this role. We would love to offer you that opportunity to do a six month rotation over there and, and to learn from them. And then to go back into your role, they have nothing to lose by, by supporting you and doing that. Yeah. They only have to gain. Exactly. Love the framing of that. There are just so many gold nuggets in that last little bit of the conversation in terms of finding skills that you have and then applying them to completely different roles that you view as completely different roles, but they have a lot more similarities than you might initially realize. And then you can apply for those jobs. And if you get it, how exciting it would be to learn something in a completely new environment and really challenge yourself and build even more upon those skills that got you that and then new skills. It's so damn cool. And from my little bit there about you know, my path, I really do would love to be a leader in product, maybe not even head of product, but like high up 
uh, product lens into a conservation company. That's my personal path. I mean, probably a lot of uh, you are not surprised. A lot of people know this that know me, but it is something I'm super passionate about. So I've been working towards it for maybe the last like five years or so. So the thing that she said though about rotational learning, it is common at big companies, but if you do not work at a big company, but you really wanna try on another role, and even if it's a tiny company, you should ask because it might be something that they could set you up with. So I worked for a very small company that grew while I was there, but at the time it was very small, we had a mentorship program and that was started by i believe it was one of the managers who thought that it would be a really valuable experience for people on my team to learn from others on the company that are doing a role that they really would want to do at the company or that they just want to learn more about so they you know brought in mentees and then you can choose like, oh, I would like to learn more about PR. So you could go and shadow the PR team for an hour a week for a quarter and then write up a little synopsis about it for your teammates that you learned. And if something like that is not set up, but if that gets the wheels spinning, like, oh, I could probably do something like that at the company that I'm at now, absolutely ask you, I mean, asking costs nothing. The worst they'll say is no, but I would bet that you might not be the only one that even broached the subject with them. So if you're really interested, rotational learning, mentorships where you're at, if you don't want to go to a different company right away, but you want to still learn and grow outside of your role in the current company, excellent solution. And I encourage you to try it. Okay. Everything's it's turning here. Okay. <laughs> Maybe my five-year trajectory is turned to three. <laughs> Let's just see. Uh, so... In, in the vein of kind of out-of-the-box out of skills okay. that like switching gears because this got me thinking about, okay, in the vein that I want to work in conservation, okay what I don't scuba dive or anything, but what kind of out-of-the-box skills can I put on my resume and learn that would help me get involved in ocean conservation? Is even thinking that way worth it? Is it too time-consuming to learn those skills? What do you think in terms of cost to learn and the return? So that's a really very specific and interesting one. Ocean conservation can range from, I went to go clean the beach on the weekend <laughs> yeah. to, I want to learn how to fix the engine on the boat going out and doing these expeditions. And so I think there's certainly an ROI or return on investment of our decisions. And so when you're going back to our earlier example of the job description with the not required, but highly encouraged, mm -hmm. you need to understand, are there particular skills that the company expects you to have on day one, or is it something that you can learn after you start and be reimbursed for, yeah. or is there a particular values alignment that you need to demonstrate with the company? Yeah. So not a skills alignment, but a values alignment. And I'm guessing, having worked in nonprofits three or four times in my career, that the, someone, if an organization is focused on ocean conservation, it's less that you went to go clean up trash on the beach over the weekend, but that you want to have, leave the world in a better place than you found it and for the next generation. Okay. And that all of a sudden, just I see your face and reaction, that conversation will keep you in, yes. in the interview process. 
And this also is part of your interview process, especially if you're looking at going into a field where you're just scratching the surface on what you know about it, you have to talk to others in the field. And that'll help you gauge what is expected of people in that role and what you need to do to show your commitment to working in that organization. So in my experience then, hiring managers often do want you to have direct experience doing something of higher, and that's of higher importance to them than having a similar skill through doing something else. So we've talked a little bit about it, but if you're in that interview and the hiring managers, oh, like you don't quite have this thing we're looking for. Oh, how do you sell yourself? That's such a great question. I think if you get in front of the hiring manager and you don't have the obvious skills to meet the job requirements, remember, use that opportunity to explain that you are qualified to the job using your transferable skills. Mm-hmm. And the key here is storytelling. Okay. So put a bow. I know put a bow on the earlier, storytelling. Yeah. Right. So now your storytelling plays a key role during the interview because you can illustrate how your transferable skills meet the requirements of the job. And then you have that dialogue of explaining this and it connects the dots for the hiring manager that you are capable for the role and that you have what you're looking for. I talked about earlier that experience if you're looking for the managerial role, but you don't have that experience leading a team at work, leverage that example from your personal life and then show that you have experience leading teams of volunteers, you're able to accomplish an initiative, and that it shows that you're also well-rounded because you've got work and volunteer activities and you're not just like one-dimensional. And you can balance it. Yes. Like if you've had a full-time job with your extracurriculars for a long time, then you've got your ducks in a row. Absolutely. <laughs> and that way, and you can show that you're like, I can balance this and I can have leadership, you know, potential, not only in my volunteer activity, but I'm ready to bring that skill into the workplace. Yeah. So personally for you, what is the next step to get you towards COO? I think it's just making connections, continuing to make connections. This way networking is very important. Yep. And also getting more information on the types of companies that I'd want to play that role in. Oh yeah. Do you have an idea? I think I want to stay in tech. I know that for sure. And I think there are definitely certain areas of tech that interest me more than others. Uh-huh. You know, I mentioned a little bit about ed tech. I do think HR tech is very interesting. Deep tech is also very interesting. Things like fintech and health tech are interesting, but not as interesting as the other ones to me. So I think just having a prioritization of what type of tech companies I would be interested in joining is important. And I can do that by having conversations with people that are currently working in these different companies and understanding what the day-to-day is like. You know, what's crazy to me is that just about every industry has a tech hashtag, let's say, like every industry is starting to develop in the technology space. But I guess it's survival at this point. Oh, they have to. Every technology has to become a technology. Domino's is a great example. Is Domino's a pizza company? No, it's now a technology company. Love it. Domino's representing. It's one of my favorite pizza chains. I think they're great. (laughs) How many times have you ordered and stared at that tracker on the screen? I loved it when they had the tracker that you could change. And you could change it to like rock or you can change it to reggae as a parrot or a guitar. It was really cute, but yeah, you're right. And they now will deliver your pizza with little robots. Yes. So that's right. That's all. These are technology plays and they're trying to stay ahead of the game. I can't name another pizza chain that's delivering by robot. Can you? No, I'm surprised we haven't had drones yet. 
Right. But yet. <laughs> yet. The little robots going down the street. It's like next is going to be the drones just dropping it on your front step. Exactly. Oh, I hope I'm here for all of it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe like gently lower it. <laughs> we don't want, we don't want to mess like that. Uh, but that's awesome. I really, I wish you a lot of success. That's Thank very you. exciting. And you are going to have more and more to choose from the longer that you go. So I hope so. I, yeah. Especially yeah. with every, you're right. Every industry is changing Everyone. into a tech industry. It's like, yeah. it's limitless. It really is the, the housing market, everything. And New York and Seattle, I know probably have just about a taste of everything. That's so right. They have a little bit of all of it, which is exciting, but also makes it extremely competitive to live here, but it's okay. Got to use your verbal skills and put your best foot forward. Learn I agree. To talk about totally yourself. agree. Yeah. That's all the questions that I had for you. Where can people find Courtney? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at DC. A-S-H-A at D.C. Asha. Hash, that um, screen name is homage to the time I lived in Washington, D.C. And they can also find my book on Amazon. Skills, the Common Denominator is available on Kindle and a paperback version. And I'm working on the hardcover and the audiobook, which will be out this year. Are you narrating? I am narrating it. I, oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, so the editor actually said that most people love hearing the author narrate the book. Those books do the, the best in Audible. Okay. And so I was convinced, okay, I'm going to narrate this book. <laughs> Not something I was expecting to add to my skills this year, but I did it. And I'm actually, I'm happy I did it because I, I wrote the book in a particular way and I know where the inflection on the sentences are and where I wanted the emphasis on people's quotes. And so it was really nice to go back and read the book from start to finish in this way out loud and to capture all that. And I hope the readers feel that when they listen to it. I am going to snag a copy and I think Thank that everybody you. should as well. And then of course there'll be the audible coming out not too long. Then. Yeah. The spring I should have the audible out and just to give people just a little more information about the book. So I did interviews with 25 people who made career pivots and they have an average of six career pivots. So that's 150 reference points for you to say, I was, I started my career like this person, but I mm. want to end it like this other person. Or how did oh, this person yes. make this pivot, you know, from being, I have one person who was an accountant who went into brand marketing or another person who did fundraising for a nonprofit. Now she's doing CSR in a bank or people who are, you know, management consultants. A lot of them want to go into technology. I have three stories of how they did that. That's fascinating. I'm curious why you chose book form and not like a podcast to tell yeah, the story. That it's funny because when I was doing my interviews, one of my interviewees actually said our interview should be a podcast episode. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't, I didn't like think about it too much at the time because I was really focused on, I've got to get this into a book. And for me, what really catalyzed it, was it 20 million people that got laid off in 2020? Yeah, so I mean, I was one number. of them. Yeah, it's okay. so crazy high. Yep. Right. Crazy high number. And I just thought, oh my gosh, all these people got laid off in the best economic market we've had in our lifetimes. All these people graduated and their job offers got rescinded. Yeah. And we're in this pandemic where they have to sit at home and figure out a job search by themselves. Like, this yeah. is crazy. Like what a, a trifecta of the mm -hmm. storms. And so I thought if I could use my learnings from my last job search, my last two job searches actually, to help people in this time, 
I'm going to do it and I'm going to put it into a book and I'm going to make sure that they can take it, they can read it and they can, they need to go back to it a year, two, three years from now, and it'll still be relevant to their next job search. I feel like our two mission statements are on parallel paths in that way, where it's, it's very much so for me, I was told at a young age, do things by the book. You are only qualified for literally what you're good at. And that's just not the case. It's not true. And I learned in my early thirties, I'm, and I'm 33. So it's like, it wasn't very long ago. And I'm like, this is like something that I feel like everybody, I should scream it from the rooftops. Right. And the skills part of it just, it makes up every part of that, that you can just hone in and develop. And really you can just make your own path. Absolutely. And I think that one thing you're, you asked about why I didn't do the podcast is we're not very good storytellers. Yeah. And so I would have these conversations and majority of my interviews were 30 minutes. And in the 30 minutes, I would ask people, tell me from college, like how you made a career change, who helped you do it? Why did you do it? And we'd go through each of these pivots. Like I said, there was an average of six per, per person. And then we'd get to the last five minutes. And that's when they would have the reflection aha moment. Of, oh, wait a second, there were these common threads in my story. <laughs> and it would always happen at the end. It was like, and that's how I learned. I was like, okay, this is not, this won't make a good podcast because everyone will get frustrated. Maybe you could take the first half hour exploring and then the next half hour, I'd be like, <laughs> oh, aha. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. Exactly. <laughs> let's reframe all of what I just said. So that's what I was like, you know what? It'll make it better in the book. Cause then I can write it in a way that the story makes sense. People are so humbling. We just don't know what we're great at. We don't know that we are yeah. superhuman. We are superhuman we and really we, need to, are. we need to acknowledge it and embrace it. We do. And I hope that everybody that reads your book does. And, and everyone listens to your podcast does as Everybody well. that listens here does. And we can change the world little by little, encouraging people to just do what they want, go out there and make the world a better place. Uh, I love it too. Is there anything else that you wanted to add at the, the tippy top here before we say goodbye? No, Courtney, it's been a pleasure talking to you and meeting your audience this way. I hope that they take away a lot of little nuggets, you know, improve their storytelling, improve their writing, focus on their transferable skills and just find career happiness. It's out there for you. Absolutely within grasp. Thank you so very much for being here. I really appreciate your time, Asha. And to next time, until next time, I will also grab your book and I'll let you know how I, how I like it. I'm sure I'll love it. It seems like what I need in my life right now, (laughs) but thank you so very much for your time. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. End of the episode, but I just need to say a very little up top warning. I'm sure you heard it in the episode too, but my partner is playing a zombie game in the room over. I don't have like a proper egg cartoned up studio. I've thought about maybe going into a closet somewhere, but our house is not very big. So like I have not a whole lot of space to do these recordings, but it's okay. And that's why if you hear him talking, that's what it is. Um, Lots of uh, zombie shouting and talks about fried rice, apparently. But anyways, okay. I am so glad that you listened to this episode. And if you haven't by now, I truly hope you feel a lot more qualified to pursue the exact career you want and start tomorrow. 
seriously. Look up qualifications for the particular job you want and cross-reference with skills you currently have, skills you think you might have but aren't sure if they are relevant, and skills you know that you don't have. Work on understanding that second one and work on building those skills you don't have through partnerships at work, rotational programs, volunteering, lots of things we talked about here. And also, learn to storytell around those that you think might transfer. Even practice storytelling to yourself, and you might be surprised that they are actually very applicable to the job that you want, and you can frame that around the job interview that you will have. Asha is just a wealth of knowledge and I really hope you're inspired by her path. She took years to develop in areas necessary to grow in operations, as she said, you know, in marketing and uh, product and all of that. But while you might not need years, there's so much value to take from her persistence and her just diligent North Star focus. Please, please reach out to her for any questions. She is a wonderful resource. She mentioned where to find her in the episode, and I've also linked it all below as well. Where can you find me? Again, my name is Courtney Heater. I am on Instagram at YNQPod, at YN as in Nancy QPod. I am on TikTok at YNQPod, the same handle as Instagram. I'm on Twitter at YNQPodcast. You can reach me via email if you would like. That's ynqpod at gmail.com. And I also have a website, you're not qualified podcast.com. I think that covered it all. Okay, so trivia deep tech. I had no clue what this was until Asha mentioned it. Uh, to be honest, it reminds me of like deep space or deep house music. It is neither of those. Deep Tech is a classification organization or more typically startup company with the expressed objective of providing technology solutions based on substantial scientific or engineering challenges. In other words, it's the future of the world. It's a booming industry. And I chose this because I believe so many people that listen to this could find incredibly satisfying careers within Deep Tech. I honestly, like truly, I encourage you to look. I, I feel it is very much so the future. And, you know, along with the metaverse, I guess, but deep tech, it's, it's amazing. You can do a lot of really amazing things there. And you have skills that will transfer to something there. I can basically guarantee you. Okay, friends, see you next Thursday. Bye.